Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today uh, through the video. Um, going over the psalm that we looked at, it was the last of our psalm series that we did for a few weeks there in the summer. This coming Sunday we'll be in the book of Jonah, be spending at least four weeks in Jonah together, and so looking forward to that. But we were in Psalm 62 this past Sunday, uh, Psalm 62, written by David, and it's a psalm where we see David was struggling with something. We don't, we don't know what, and but we don't really know exactly when this was written, um, but he was struggling here. He was in a desperate situation, or he was hurt. I, I really don't know. I mean, like I mentioned in this sermon, there's a lot of instances we can go to David's life where he faced difficulty, and a lot of them would fit this psalm well, or where we could see where maybe he'd cry out to God like this uh, in this psalm. Uh, but really, as we approach Psalm 62, we have to deal with suffering, and we have to deal with hurt that we face even as God's people even as God's children adopted into his family. Uh, And I think it's important for us to be reminded of that. It's important for us to remember that because there is a very strong uh, line of Christian thinking right now, and I would say Christian kind of loosely, but Christian thinking that says when you are God's adopted child, really pain, hurt, struggle, suffering, isn't really going to be a part of your life, or it shouldn't be. And if it is a part of your life, it's actually your fault. It's not It's not God's fault, because God would not want that for you. What God actually wants is you to never feel that stuff or experience that stuff. And so it kind of then gets put back on us. And there, there is a very, very strong uh, line of, of thinking <laughs> with that. Actually, with that, while I was away on vacation, don't, don't judge me by this, but everybody was gone. I can't, it was in the morning. I can't remember. They were all getting ready for whatever. And I saw that Creflo Dollar was on TV. You know who that is? Yeah. Do you know who that is? I'll talk to Spencer then. Okay. And I'm like, I want to hear, I want to hear what this guy has to say. I know, I know who he is, yeah. you know. And sure enough, you know, I listened to like a paragraph of what he had to say, and it was exactly that. It was what God wants for your life is success. He never wants failure. Mm-hmm. He wants health all the time. Never anything. Right. You know, and I mean, he went on to say exactly what I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. This is what God has in store for you life. And he said, do you believe that? Say amen. And the thousands of people in the church, because there's thousands in there. Right. Amen. And that's what they believe. Right. You know? That's what they think. And no doubt, though, within that room, you had people with cancer. You know, you have people who are poor right. and broke with all kinds of problems, like living this facade mm-hmm. that everything is good. When the Bible is so full of Psalms or of, of instances where we see Chosen people, David is the chosen king, the man after God's own heart. And we see him pouring out his heart to God about how much struggle there is in his life and how much suffering he continues to go through. And so as Christians, we have to understand that, but also know how to talk about that well with other people. Um, And this psalm, I think, helps with that. It helps us in dealing with our suffering and understanding maybe a little better of of why we go through suffering. Um, And so... David starts off the psalm in verses 1 and 2, and he talks about waiting. He says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. A very strong start to the psalm. And what I think is the most interesting thing about it that would be, I don't want to say controversial, but the most difficult for us is that first part where he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. What do you think David means by by that, by waiting in silence on the Lord? Like practically, 
What does that what does that look like maybe in our lives as we try to replicate that as David had done it? What I mean by that is, do you think this is what it was? Do you think David was saying, I'm just going to sit on my throne. I'm the king. I'm going to sit on my throne here. Nobody speak. Nobody say a word. I'm going to sit here in silence. Let's just wait to see what God has to say. And so he's just sitting there waiting. Is that what it is? Or is it, or is it something else? Well, obviously, David's that, that can't be exactly because he's praying this prayer. <laughs> yeah. So he's obviously not silent. He's silent in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that he's not actively, he, he is actively trusting in God and actively. So the idea of, of waiting is um, whenever you see the idea of hope or waiting, the idea in the, in the Bible is of confident expectation of future good. So you're looking to the future and David right now is suffering. This, in the present tense right now, he is, he's undergoing a difficult trial in his life. But he is confident that God and expects God to keep his promise that in the future he will he will take care of David, whatever that looks like for his specific circumstance. Now, the idea of being silently waiting seems to be that because on the what the opposite seems to be in verses three and four that these people are whoever this is is attacking David and specifically David talks about them using their mouths to attack David. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but Mm -hmm. inwardly they curse. So what David is not going to do is try to save himself by his words. He's not going to try to save himself by what he does or uh, by speaking in response. He's going to trust the word of God. Mm -hmm. So he's silently waiting and allowing God to be the savior. Now, again, that doesn't mean David doesn't necessarily do completely nothing. It means that he prays this prayer. He does what is right continuously, but he's trusting ultimately that God is the one who takes vengeance. God is the one who saves. And David is not going to try to save himself by his works or even by the words that come from his mouth. And I think that's kind of roughly what what we see. And at the very end, you see, again, David is taking refuge in the word of God to him, his right. promises, that's mm-hmm. my salvation. Yeah, yeah. And that I think it's it's good to point out, right, that when we wait in silence, it doesn't mean a lack of doing anything. And some people do want to go that route, you know. Um, they say, you know, if God wants me to have a job, he'll just bring it here. And it's like, well, I guess that could happen, but you probably should also fill out some mm-hmm. applications and maybe make right. a resume and send them some places. and Because uh, that's how God most often works, and we see him work as we do these, as we do these things. And um, I would say it's the same, yes, in this situation of waiting on God. I think in a spiritual sense would look like spending time in God's word, prayer, like you said, still being faithful to the things that God calls us to do. So... You know, attending worship at your church and being engaged with other Christians and still doing those things, even during difficulty, even during struggle. Now, now the struggle could be like a, a sickness or something that keeps you from a lot of that stuff. Okay, I mean, that's, under, that's understandable. Um, but there's still this active role in our part as we're hurting, as we're suffering. And I, the psalm, we talked about this because part of what God does in suffering is he brings to the surface sin in our life. And so I think the active part, 
a lot of time and waiting in silence. You're going through this difficult time. The active part is working on your heart as God reveals things to you of, of confessing of like, oh, yeah, there's still a ton of pride in here, mm-hmm. right? There's still a ton of selfishness, God, that I see you. Or I'm starting to realize the my reliance on the things of this world. God, you are showing me this through this sickness or through this difficult time that I'm facing. And so there is an active part of us, you know, recognizing that and then repenting of that or dealing with that or working through those mm-hmm. things. So I just want us to have in our minds, it's not just a, I'll just sit back and let God be God. Jesus, take the wheel. Right, let go and let God. Yeah, let go and let God. No, that's not, I don't think that. I don't yeah. think that's what David's getting at here. That's a hard balance to find, yeah. especially when you're in the midst of that. <clears throat> and I think the way to think about it is like you do what you can, but to wait for God in silence, I think, is to wait for for God to change the things that only he can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do the things that you can do, but you can't. You can't change every circumstance mm-hmm. of your life. Yeah, um, There are some things that you simply cannot change, and mm-hmm. you have to come to terms with the only one who can change this mm-hmm. is God, so I'm putting this in his hands. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of how yeah. I understand what it means to wait for God in silence is, God, I'm putting this in your hands. I'm waiting for you to deal mm-hmm. with what only you can deal with right. mm-hmm. in yeah. this instance, and yeah. I have to trust you in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if any of us have really faced the amount of grief and stuff that David did in his life. You know, just looking at his his life in general, the the crazy things that he went through and witnessed. But even the the desperate situations of like losing children, right. friends turning their backs completely on him, children trying to kill him, um, just all these different things that he really faced. But all of us do face in our life. Let's just say not even big things, but just say on a on a regular basis as we live our lives daily on a weekly basis, monthly basis, we do have our ups and our downs and we have these things that cause us to be hurt. And so I think when we look at like verses three and four, where David would say, how long will you mm-hmm. attack a man? You know, he's talking about these hurts, these people who take pleasure in lies and, mm-hmm. and do this stuff. I think we all could say that we've experienced that to some extent in our life, to where we remember these difficult times that maybe we were even just dumbfounded of like, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why this is why this is going on. Maybe it's a friend who all of a sudden just turned their back. You know, like they're saying this stuff about me, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what has brought this on. Um, there are some practical things here, I think, for us to to understand. Number one, a lot of times in those situations, I do think we need to look at ourselves and not look at others and say, maybe, maybe I'm causing this. Maybe I did do something bad to my friend that I need to seek their forgiveness for, right? Um, but number two, it's kind of what you were saying, how David is choosing not to use his words to fix the situation. But how often in our lives we do that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix this, or I'm going to solve that. I'm going to tell them who she really is, or who he really is. I'm, I'm actually, they're saying that about me. Right. I'm going to solve this problem really quick, right. and it doesn't solve it, right? It's just, it just is hurtful. And so as Christians, as people who've been saved by God's grace, we do live by a different standard when we are being hurt or attacked by other people. And it, it is interesting to know how David's is, <clears throat> God, you need to deal with this. I'm trusting you to deal with this. I don't want to be the one to go in and fix this and, and fight into this and, and deal with it. Here, I need, I need you to, to solve this. Um, and I think the same would be said for us. We still have to maintain our Christian values, our Christian ethics, Christian morality that we see in Scripture, these truths, and hold on to them even 
in the face of mm-hmm. suffering, ridicule, and hurt, and trust that God will be faithful to us, right? Mm-hmm. As as we do our best to remain faithful right. to Him in these difficult times. This is a great psalm for Detroit Lions fans. <laughs> oh, come on! Wait silently. Um, you know. Hey, you speaking feel... of that, the Pistons had the first pick this I year. I saw that. We're on the up and up. All right. Okay. Well, stop talking about the Lions. Sorry. So anyway, <laughs> no, I just thought about how long will you attack a man? I mean, that's just. It's been about fifty. Yeah, years it's been it's about, yeah, about sixty actually, <laughs> yeah. but seventy. But um. <laughs> Yeah, no, some examples of what it looks like whenever the people of God don't wait on the Lord. One example comes to mind is, of course, Abraham. Not waiting on the, I'm going to give you a son. Right. From your own body. Okay, well, I'm going to, God's not done it yet, so why don't I take Hagar and we'll fix this. Yeah, we'll solve uh, obviously, this problem. <laughs> you know, that's that's one example of of, of, uh, of how this doesn't work whenever we try. Another example is... David's predecessor, Saul, with the sacrifices, I'm going to show up in seven days, and I'm going to make the sacrifice. When I, and then I come, well, Saul's scared. So he, what? He, he, he forces himself, he says, to make the sacrifice. He doesn't wait. Right. Because yep. he doesn't believe presently. Mm-hmm. That, that takes a, the, the, the confident expectation of, of what God will do in the future requires a present faith in God, mm-hmm. trust in God that he will see it to the end. And, you know, for, so for us, um, you know, for instance, um, we, can, we can expect, we, sometimes God tells us in the future, he's going to set the whole world right. He's, everyone, every sin is going to be held accountable at the final judgment. He's going to raise us from the dead. He's going to make us perfect if we're believers. But sometimes we want that all right now. And we're like, Lord, we got we to gotta usher this in by our own works Reality is, is when we try to do that, we mess things up really bad Mm -hmm. um, because we can't bring about perfect resolution of all problems or justice in this life. We have to look to the next and trust the Lord to do that. So those are kind of a couple examples that come to mind, though, of what it looks like to do the opposite of what this psalm is saying to do, is is to to trust the Lord that he will keep his word because he's faithful. Yeah. And it is a hard balance. I I mean, I would struggle with this for sure, you know, if I'm jobless, let's say, and I'm praying, God, I need a job. You know, I've got wife mm-hmm. and kids, and we we need to eat. And you, you know, I, I read in Matthew where you say, if you care about the the grass of the field, how much more are you going to care about me? And I, I need this job, and I'm a, I'm applying, I'm going to interviews, and mm-hmm. I'm just I'm not getting anything. Mm-hmm. You can see maybe where you start to get antsy, mm-hmm. and you start to doubt this. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if God does care about me here. Mm-hmm. And we do have stories throughout the ages of Christians that if we really read their testimony and their biography, we would stand there probably and say, God was not faithful to this person. They died at the stake. They got burnt. They were they were burnt, right? So <clears throat> how do we do that balance or how do we talk to somebody? You talked about this balance. It is a hard balance of saying, God, like maybe that brother who's looking for a job, I think God will give you a job, but I don't know. I really don't know, but I do know he loves you. How do we balance that together? Like, he loves you, he cares for you. I can't 100% tell you you're going to go get a job. I don't know. It it might end up you don't. Mm -hmm. And you do have to sell your house, right? And you do got to do this and do this, and then it's going to be really difficult. But I know this, through all of it, God's faithful to you, Mm -hmm. and God loves you. How How do we talk to that person? I think it's actually really helpful, like when you mentioned... You read Christian biography and 
or historical biography and you see how much somebody suffered. I wasn't planning on saying anything about that, but that does bring to mind, I think that's actually one of the most helpful things you can do is look back at people's lives who have suffered. It may not be a good thing to do like while you're in the midst of a hard time, but if you know of those seasons that other people have experienced, it puts your suffering into perspective. Mm-hmm. It might lessen your suffering in your eyes or help you see the example of somebody that did go through intense suffering. Um, I think that can be really helpful. Sure, But like the balance of that is, I don't know if there is a right answer uh, to that. Every situation is different. Yeah. And um, I mean, some of it, I mean, like, uh, like the job situation. I mean, it might not just be that you lost your job. It might be that you lost your marriage. Right, yeah. And like you had two incomes mm-hmm. and you're not just suffering. It's not so much that you're suffering from the loss of your job. You're suffering from the loss of your family. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going through that divorce. And yeah, you, one of you now has this house that you have to try to maintain. Oh, one of you, by the way, is also now taking care of all the kids primarily. That's a lot of money to try to, to put towards that. And so, yeah, it might not be... Like I could see two different people in this situation or more than that, a person trying to maintain their standard of living that they once enjoyed that is not going to be possible anymore. And part of getting through this season is just coming to terms with that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to keep that house. Yeah. You're not going to be able to give your kids all the nice things that they used to have because you just don't have the money to do it anymore. Or it might be, yeah, I mean, finding a job is going to be difficult. It might Mm -hmm. require that you move and you don't want to move. And so, uh, Trusting God in the midst of that is trusting that sometimes doing something you don't want to do is the best thing for you. Yeah. And it falls back, I think, to what I know I've been trying to say this a lot in my in, in preaching over the past couple of years, but really taking grass and holding as a Christian that the very best thing God could ever do for me is forgive me of my sin and save my soul through Christ. There's no greater thing. He could make me a millionaire, a billionaire. You know, he could do all these different things. But as a Christians, we believe wholeheartedly, we should, the best thing he could ever do, he has done through Christ in my life. And so the rest of my life is to be devoted to him and whatever that is and however that service comes about. And it's different for all kinds of people. Honestly, for us in America as Christians, we have it pretty good. Like God has blessed us where... We do. Or we are able to get a house or a car, or we feed our kids, and we can actually give them good things. I mean, you guys were just talking about, you know, wanting to go to the fair. That's a blessing that you have the ability to be able to even do that. Where there's a lot of Christians around the world that couldn't cross their mind because they wouldn't have the money to do that. Yeah, we're about to go to the fair and spend an obscene amount of money on really bad food. <laughs> yeah, on dumb things. You yeah. know. Yeah. No, you're right. And. But that's not like the promise. That's not the good thing that God has done. We're thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can go on vacation. But the good thing that God has done is that if tomorrow I lose my job and all my family gets sick and we die, it's okay because he's saved my soul and I'm going to be with him in glory forever. And uh, I just think that it's important for us to really know that and grasp that and hold on to that as as believers, yeah. and to find our joy in that. Yeah. In your sermon, you did something that was really helpful when you went through a, a list of, I don't know exactly how it was phrased, of like what, what God might be doing mm-hmm. through the suffering yeah. that's happening. Yeah. But I think that's <clears throat> especially important for us as Christians in America to know because so much of our lives can be wrapped up in the pleasures of this life, whether yeah. it be fair food 
or it be a, a nice house or yard mm-hmm. or vehicles that we enjoy, vacations that we enjoy, because when those things are taken away from us, that we interpret that as seasons of suffering, when really what it might be is God sanctifying us, mm-hmm. helping us be content with what we have. Like, I mean, Scripture mm-hmm. says that if we have food and clothing with us, we will be content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it says that God takes <clears throat> care of the lilies of the field, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. He's going to give you a huge house, right. you know, or that doesn't mean that you're going to have the food that you would choose to have. But it mm-hmm. might just mean that you are sustained in this life for mm-hmm. what you need. But it's that was helpful because it, we as Americans, I think, interpret the loss of luxury as suffering. Yeah. When the vast majority of human history, that's not what suffering has been. <laughs> The loss of luxury. I found as I've been given more, honestly. God and I think it's God's blessings. And I think I think some of the things I might label as God's blessings has actually been my selfishness and pride wanting things. And so then I get it and I'm like, oh look, God blessed me with this thing. But what I've found a lot of times is as I've gotten more, there's been more problems. You know? And so like, I don't know, think something as simple as a pool. There's a lot of people who want a pool. That is like the vein of my existence, the fact that I have a pool and it is so much work all the time and it ticks me off and it creates bad days, you know, and and it's like I'm supposed to be enjoying this and liking this, but it's causing more problems in my in my life, which points me though to the fact that I can't find peace in the things of this world mm-hmm. and I'm thankful that I have peace in, in Christ. Yes, these are mm-hmm. blessings or whatever. Um, but the things you were talking about, some people had asked after, but it was Thomas Watson, the Divine Cordial, out of that book. It's one of the chapters <clears throat> in the book, and it was uh, 10 ways. He doesn't label it this way. It's not like 10 ways God uses suffering. You have to really search in there to mm-hmm. see. He has 10 things in there. Um, but they were they were helpful, I hope. I hope to people. That's why, that's why I read them and took the time um, to do it. But one of them that I liked was how God uses suffering to make silent the wicked. He said, Mm -hmm. and what he meant by that was as a a faithful Christian suffers and remains to be faithful, the wicked can't point to them and say, the only reason you're a Christian is because of the benefits it's giving Mm -hmm. you right now. Because they would look and say, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I don't have any benefits. I don't have a home. I mean, it's like with Jesus, right? Jesus would say, foxes have a place to go. Birds have their nest. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So, you, you know, you couldn't look at Jesus and say, well, of course, of course God continues to protect you, kind of like Satan did in the That's exactly right, what in Satan the trial, said right? That's what Satan hope. said. And that wasn't the case. Jesus had nothing, and he was poor, mm-hmm. and he was broken. So there was nothing that could be lobbed at him as saying, of course, the Father made your life so easy. That's how you were able not to sin. Mm-hmm. No, it was, the exact, it was the exact opposite. And so it's the same for us. As we, are, as we remain faithful in the midst of suffering, we continue to come to church, and we smile, and we sing, and we greet each other, and everybody in the building knows they're going through a horrible time right now, but look at them. It just silence, silences the wicked and those who would attack mm-hmm. them because of, because of their faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys got anything on that. Sorry. <clears throat> Nothing? Okay. You want me to go through a couple more of these or no? Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Uh, God uses suffering as our preacher and tutor. Um, it was just how we start to see the ingratitude and the rebellion of our heart as we suffer. God uses suffering to make the heart more upright. Um, God uses suffering to conform us to Christ. And his point there was really, he suffered, you suffer. Why would mm-hmm. you think any different? Mm-hmm. And Jesus even says that mm-hmm. multiple times as he would talk. It's the whole Bible. Like, yeah, like this is <laughs> going know, just... to happen. That quote that you said you didn't remember where it was from, but yeah. that was really memorable. 
of why would you think that you would wear a crown of roses when his yeah. was mm -hmm. a crown of thorns? Yeah, but, it might have know. been Tim Challies, but he might have been quoting somebody. Uh, he, pro I don't know. He's an eloquent guy. But I don't know. That's a pretty good quote. But that's, I mean, that was really, that's really helpful just to think of like, you know, because as a Christian, every Christian I know would say that they desire to follow Christ. Sure. You know, and mm -hmm. Christ did make it clear that part of following him was following some of the suffering that he would endure. And um, and that is, that's that's revealing about your heart is that sometimes in suffering, it's that we feel as if we deserve better than what Christ himself was willing to go through. Yeah. And, and not in all instances, that's not what suffering is. I'm not saying that. Um, but uh, but that that's just a helpful perspective. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. But in the perspective, I thought that was really good. You know, you talk about those biographies. I've read a lot of those biographies of like missionaries and different things. And it's it's amazing to me how the side note in those is like, by the way, they got malaria and they couldn't use their right leg anymore. Let's move mm -hmm. on. <laughs> they just like keep talking about all the work that they did for the Lord. And it's like over and over again, but these things are just sub little sub points. And after you get done reading the book, you're like, I wish I could be just like him. And it's like, really? Yeah. Did you read those other things? Like yeah. they didn't eat. They they got beaten by the tribe yeah. when they got there. Yeah. <laughs> Three of their wives and all of their kids died. Died. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're trying to raise, oh, this is who I want to be. It's like, no, you don't. Because as, as soon as it's too cold in church, you complain and you want to leave because you're so cold or too hot. You know, it's just, I'm the same way though. I'm not, I'm not throwing stone. I'm the exact same way. Like, oh, I want to be like this person. Maybe it's even someone in scripture. I, I mentioned, da used David as the example mm -hmm. yesterday. I mean, I want to be like David. Then you start reading his life and it's like, eh, no, I'd rather be the unknown guy in the back who just kind of sk skates by and has everything. Skates okay. by. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> let me be that one over there. Anyways, sorry. Uh, one of the things that I really liked in, the, in this list was um, God uses suffering to loosen our hearts from the world. And again, I can't remember where I read it. I can't remember if it was in his his book specifically, or if it was somebody speaking of the book, but it talked about like, if you were going to tear a tree down and you want, you didn't want a stump left. So you wanted the roots gone. The first thing you have to do is you have to get the earth away from it. And so you've got to dig all the dirt out and you really got to separate that away from the roots before you're going to be able to root the tree out. And the example was, that's what God does in our life with suffering is our roots sadly are starting to get into the world. Mm -hmm. And we, we are like cemented by the world where we think this is our stability. This is our source of nutrition. And we, what God does is in suffering, mm -hmm. he starts to get rid of that. And we see, oh, I got my roots in the wrong place. And mm -hmm. it hurts and it's mm -hmm. difficult. But we have to get them pulled out because God doesn't really use anything else but suffering for that to take place. Mm -hmm. You just don't see that right. happen when things are going good. Right. Right. And when everything is well. But in suffering, God does it. And we should praise God for that, which seems weird and ironic, but we praise him for that because that means he's making us into the image of his son. That means he notices us, that he cares about us, and that he wants good for us and better for us than the things of this world and what we're putting our hope mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Um, so I really I really liked that one too. And again, I understand, you know, we need to close because of time. I understand talking about this is easier than living it. Like, we can talk about how suffering is this and suffering is that. But I mean, I know from experience of going through some things that were really hard where it's easy for your mind and your body to start telling you very different things of like give up or whatever it might be. Like all is for naught. Um, but 
this is the truth of God's word, and we need to hold on to that and hold it dear. And so I've been thankful, like in times when I've been hurting or whatever it might be, that God would use people in my life. He would use his word. He might use a sermon that I would hear or something to remind me of these truths and to remind me of where my hope is found. And so my prayer is that um, he continues to do that in all of our lives Mm -hmm. as we face this. I kind of closed service a little different yesterday. I don't know if people caught it. I didn't like announce announce how I was doing it, but I, I pray. I tried to pray this psalm. You know, I brought I brought it up there, and I tried to go line by line and pray for those in our church who currently might be going through a time of great difficulty, where they would maybe want to pray something similar to David, and like David does there. I can't remember which verse it was. Maybe like six or seven. He kind of like preaches to himself, mm-hmm. like soul, wait. Wait yeah. on the Lord. Is that verse, right. was that five? Yep. I'm sorry. My soul waits silently yeah. for God alone. Yeah, it's almost like he's like urging himself. And <laughs> and so I'm trusting that God will use that prayer and, and to help um, people in our church to, to continue to fight on in their faith and to persevere in their faith in the midst of difficulty and trust, trust the Lord through whatever trial it may be. But also uh, to know that you have a church family who it is our job to be there for you in this difficulty. That That is our job and that is our task. And we want to be able to do that. And when I say we, I don't mean just us in this room, pastors in this room. I mean the whole church membership. That is our job is to, to care for each other. And so what maybe we can't do for that person, for, for you if you're hurting, somebody else in the church, I would hope and pray, would be willing to step up and to care for you. And I know that happens in our church. I hear about it all the time people caring about each other and loving on each other. And so um, don't think that you have to suffer or hurt or go through this stage of life on your own. There's people there to love and to care for you. And that's what God has given us in church family and in church membership. And so know that we're praying for you. Um, Know that we do care. And if there is something, reach out to us or to somebody within the church uh, to lean on them. Maybe it's just for prayer, which is good. Um, But you don't have to just go through that suffering uh, all on your own there. And and we see here that God is faithful. Remember that. God is faithful. God loves you. He cares for you. He's chosen you as his child. He loves you. And as Thomas Watson said there at the end, all this suffering really prepares us for glory mm-hmm. one day where we're ready to rid ourselves of all this to spend eternity with him and his glory for forever. And we have that promise as Christians that that will happen and that will take place. So we look forward to that day. All right, that's it for me. From 62, anything you guys? I think it's helpful sometimes to know the way you ended your sermon looking at verses 11 and 12, reminding us that God is not simply all-powerful, but to Him belongs steadfast love. Mm -hmm. And I think so many times for people in the midst of that suffering, knowing how God uses suffering in our lives to sanctify us isn't the most comforting thing. Uh, It is helpful to know that, but we normally see all that stuff in hindsight, after it's all said and done. But like in the midst of that keeping faith, like you said, trusting that God does love us mm-hmm. and that he is good in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. And that was just a really helpful reminder, Good, I think, in that. Good, good. Well, all right. Well, thank you for being with us through the video. We look forward to seeing you again on Sunday as we get ready to go through the book of Jonah. So God bless.